Hey guys, we wanted to take a moment to thank you for tuning in. Check back weekly to stay up to date with what God is doing here in the life of our church. To learn more information, you can find us online at sturkey.church. Our prayer here at the church at Sturkey Hills is that you are moved by this message. Guys, thanks for tuning in and have a blessed week. We're not going to let the devil interfere with what he has planned for today. Amen. I'm telling you, I'm telling you, God is in this place and he's doing great things in the life of this church. And I want to invite you today to get in and no longer be a spectator. We're going to talk about that today. If you've got your Bibles, open your Bibles to Nehemiah chapter 13. It's an incredibly bad chapter. And it's on the heels of some incredibly beautiful chapters in an incredibly amazing book. And it is to you, for you on this day, okay? Uh, this, is, this book is written 2,500 years ago, and it's still applicable for us today. And so uh, to begin, I, I want to remind you where we came from. For the last couple of weeks, uh, we were in Nehemiah chapter 10. 10 is a, a great chapter, man. I mean, Nehemiah says, hey, people, enough is enough. We ain't going back to where we came from, and we're going to change things. We're not going to keep doing the same things expecting a different result. We're going to write this thing down, sign it, seal it, see it through. We're not going back to where we came from. Tell your neighbor, we ain't going back. And, and, and they're good intentions, and so now they're at this highlight in their life as a nation, as a people, as individuals, where they've come out of captivity, and now they have met personally and seen the activity of the God that was only in their history books before. Uh, they, they're seeing God alive in, in their world. They're revived. The, the, God has done this epic miracle in their presence in building this wall. So the city of Jerusalem is fortified. Israel is again a people of God. I mean, it is just an amazing time. And I just want to tell you, if you ever get to a place where you find yourself in that circle where the God that other people have talked about is real to you, where he is up close and personal, and, and it doesn't matter which direction you look, he is there. And you know it, you feel it, you sense something that other people have talked about, and now it's in your personal life. It is good. And when you get to that place, you cannot help but think to yourself, I don't want to go back. I don't want to leave this moment, man. I don't want to leave this spot where God has touched me, where he's hanging out with somebody like me. Because in that moment, you realize, big God, little me. Great God, pitiful me. And yet he is right here. And I'm telling you, there's nothing like it. There's nothing. The nation of Israel, that's where they found themselves. And what's funny about it, Nehemiah had told them, listen, guys, when we get there, it's going to be good in the hood. You won't be disappointed. In fact, in Nehemiah chapter 2, verse 18, he says, Then I related to them how the good hand of my God was upon me. Nehemiah says, listen, the good hand of our God is on us, and we're going to this place because he's birthed the vision, and I'm leading it, and you're going to join me. And when we get to that place, we're going to know that we're under the umbrella coverage, protection, and blessing of a good, good God. And there's nothing like it. Maybe you've never experienced that as an individual. Maybe your family has never experienced that. Maybe you've never been a, a part of a church where God does the supernatural in your midst. But I'm telling you, he's trying to do that right here, right now, right here, Sturkey Hills, right now. And some of us will act like it's Saturday 
sitting behind the TV, watching a football game, watching somebody else in the game. Meanwhile, God is saying, you don't have to be a spectator. You can get in the game. You can be part of this thing that's bigger than you, that's, that's moving forward. You can be in on that, and you won't be disappointed. Because let me tell you about, something about God. He is never a disappointing God. Now, we disappoint him all the time. He is never a disappointing God because it is against his nature and against his character. So they're in this place, and it's some kind of good. And so Nehemiah says, man, I can't, I can't, hide, I can't uh, uh, hide the joy that's in my heart. And, man, I can't shadow the joy that I see in you people. Man, y'all are excited. I'm excited. So when everybody's excited and God does something good, you know what it's time for? A party. A celebration. And that's what they do in chapter 11. This is what's funny. I'm an old guy. I was studying. I was putting this message together. And you know what song just started resonating in my mind? It wasn't How Great Thou Art. It wasn't I Surrender All. It was dun, 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 dun. Anybody remember that song? Raise your hand if you're old. You know you know that song. Celebrate. You know, there's a party going on right here. You know what I'm talking about? A celebration going to last. Susan, you know it. You old like me. I call you out. It's okay. She knows. We know. Okay. We're in better shape than most people our age. Okay. That thing, that celebration song just kept rising up. Why? Because in, in 11, you know what they did? They throw a party. And it is some kind of party. Why? Because God has done, had done something they had never experienced before. And when that happens, it moves you. To celebrate God. And we live in a world where God is at a, even in the church, where God is distant. God is not much bigger than we are. And yeah, I've got a heaven waiting for me when I die. Meanwhile, I'm just going to live in apathy, lukewarmness, defeated, miserable, miserable Christianity. That's not it. That's not it. And so they throw a party. Listen to chapter 11 real briefly. In verse 27... It says, and at the dedication of the wall, that's the celebration, the party, they sought the Levites in their places to bring them to Jerusalem to celebrate the dedication with gladness and thanksgiving and with singing and cymbals and harps and lyres. Verse 30, and the priest and the Levites, they purified themselves and they purified the people and the gates and the wall. Verse 31, then I brought the leaders of Judah up onto the wall and appointed two great choirs that gave thanks. Verse 42, and the choirs, they sang loudly. <laughs> they sang loudly. When you celebrate, you sing loudly. Some of us sing loudly. Some of us sing not so loudly. I want to invite you to sing loudly. You ain't singing. The person next to you, well, they ain't going to like my singing. Well, if you're singing to them, stay at the house. We're not worshiping the person standing next to you. We're worshiping the true and living Yahweh, the King of ages, and the Savior who died on a cross to rescue us. That's who we're singing to. And if the person next to you has a problem with your singing, tell them they can watch it online. Hello. Now, had to keep going here before I get in trouble. Verse 43 says, And now on that day they offered great sacrifice and rejoiced. Listen, for God had given them great joy. The women and the children 
also rejoiced. Now, I don't know why he put that in there. I don't know if he was among sad women and children or what, but it says even they rejoiced. I mean, this is good. And then he goes on and he says, and the rejoicing in Jerusalem could be heard from far away. When God does something great in your life, you can't, you can't silence it. You, you can't muffle it. It spreads. And I want to tell you something. God's doing this kind of thing in the life of this church. Now, let me tell you something. Many of you are new. Many of us have been here for a few years. Sometimes, either we're so uncommitted that we miss the magnitude of what God is doing, or sometimes we're so buried in serving in what God's doing, we don't see the panoramic flyby at 30,000 feet, and we don't see what God is doing. So I, I want to help us... I want, I want to help you understand why, why I know, why I'm convinced that God is at work in the life of this church. I want you to see it this morning. I truly, truly believe we as a church and we as a people stand on the threshold of God doing something bigger than any of us have ever seen. I really do. What, what does, what's the precursor to that? What lays the groundwork for that? What does that look like? Well, just this year, our church has sent missionaries all over the world. We sent missionaries in the last 12 months to Honduras, Africa, Philippines, Brazil. We've sent missionaries to Boston, uh, right here in downtown. We've taken our food and shower trailer and we fed 10,000 meals this year. We've showered about 1,200 guests who need showers down there. And the last two weeks, I preached a message called, Can I Get That in Writing? And God showed up. And it's amazing. Last week, we had three beautiful baptisms. These ladies, grown ladies, just like today, who said, I really need to be baptized. I had another one just a few minutes ago. I need to be baptized. I, I'm, I'm not saying, hey, you, I'm not telling them, just saying, hey, I, I need to be baptized, Okay. God does that. The Holy Spirit does that. The, the preacher doesn't do that. I'm just a guy. The Holy Spirit touches hearts. And why right now it's ladies, I, I'm not sure, but that's what, that's what he's doing. And, and, and some of you men, you need to be baptized too, and you need to listen to the Holy Spirit in that. Now, not only did we baptize last week, we, we had back, backpack blessings, and we had about 25 middle schoolers and high schoolers and about 50 or so uh, uh, elementary school kids up here. Five years ago, the vast majority of them were not here. God has sent them here in, in the last few years. And, and sometimes we don't see that because we see one day at a time. I've seen it. Some of our original people have seen it. They, they know it's real. Not only that, our attendance last Sunday was 420 people. Three years ago, it was 184 people, first Sunday in August. Six years ago, it was 63 God's doing this stuff. He's doing, it. He's doing something incredible right in front of our eyes, and if we're not careful, we'll miss it. Last Sunday, as a church, we were, we were able to provide a car for one of our faithful dear ladies so that she has transportation. Our, the, the Lord provided that. On the same week, which I can't orchestrate, we had a $10,000 check that showed up at my house. During last week, but between first and second service, I was given a check for $30,000. For the church. Our offering last week was $62,000. Our budget is, is less than $10,000 a week. Our budget is less than $10,000 a week. And, 
And our giving exceeded that six times. Amen, praise the Lord. Your preacher, your pastor, can't manufacture, conjure, create, or invent activity like that and get it to land simultaneously when I'm preaching a message from the eternal counsel of God, the final point being financial stewardship. I can't do that. God does that stuff. It ain't over. So this week, you'll see in a minute, this week is, is a message reminding us we don't want to go back to where we came from. I get a, a text. Hey, I'd like to be a part of a matching. We talked about it. I'd like to be a part of that matching program. So if you can get, 15, if you can get people to give $15,000 toward the building fund, I'll match it with $15,000. And so we'll match it. I told the early service, we're going to match it. If I had to write a check, I'm going to get his 15. <laughs> Just saying, okay? Okay? Now, I don't want to do it myself and be the only one me and him get the blessing, but I will if I have to, Okay? So I want you to know, if you, if you want to be a part of a blessing, I, I, I'm not a prosperity gospel preacher, I'm not. But I'm telling you, God has his, the door open, and God is doing incredible things. I had a man just yesterday, I found out he got a promotion at his work, a good promotion at his work. Okay, God's doing things. You have stories right now you're thinking of in your heart where God is doing things in your life. And if not, listen to me, you're sitting there thinking, why am I not in on the blessing that they're talking about? I want to invite you in the blessing. Get in the game and he will bless you because he has the door of blessing open on individuals and in the life of our church. So listen to this. This is really cool. So I, I had that opportunity to challenge to, for the pledge. And, and I'm, I'm telling you, you want to be a part of that? Just write a check to the church for, church for whatever amount you want. And it'll be doubled with his blessing. So the same week, I get a call and had to pick up some paperwork. And uh, the first one, this is, you know, we're autonomous. We're on our own. And so everything's cleaned up now. And, and so this is a title for our van, free and clear. We don't owe, any, owe anything on the van. This is the title for our shower trailer, which is probably a $30,000 asset. Uh, here's the title for it. We, this came this week. We don't, we don't know anything for that. Uh, five years ago, we owed about $511,000 as a mortgage on our facility, our land and our building. Here's the deed. We don't owe 50 cents on that. That's paid off. <laughs> I'm, I'm telling you, this has landed in the last two weeks. I, I haven't done anything, I, nothing. This is just the way it comes in. Here's another check, different from the one I just mentioned, for almost $16,000. And you want to hear the sweetest one of all? You want to hear the lesson to us all? It's contained in this Ziploc baggie right here. I have two little boys, Cooper and Josiah. And they had a little fundraiser, had a little... Kool-Aid stand or something, cookie stand, generated some revenue. They could have went and bought them something. They brought it to the church. They want to be a part of, of feeding the homeless. You want to hear the sad part? You, hold on before you clap. You want to hear the sad part? I've got little boys. How old are Cooper and Josiah? Seven and five. I have seven and five-year-olds that have outgiven much of our adult population on this Sunday and many just like it. I don't say that to make you mad. I say that because the Holy Spirit wants to convict your heart to get in the game and support the thing that you love. 
I had somebody the other day said, the church I came from, the preacher got paid more based on how many people attended in the offering. I said, I didn't know I could do that. Okay? I, it doesn't change anything. But God wants to move us into a brand new facility in the field next to here. The drawings are, com are complete. It's ready to pull permit. We're not ready to pull permit because God hadn't told us to pull the permit. It's the vision that we start that in 2020 after Easter. That's the vision. And when we have Sundays like this, I said a few weeks ago, we have all the money we need to build that building. And everybody applauded. I said, the problem is it's still in your pocket. Okay? Got quiet crickets on that one. Okay? But I'm telling you, listen to me. God's doing a thing. And he wants to include you in the thing that he's doing. And you don't want to miss a God-sized thing. Because it'll change your life. It'll change your family's life. And it'll change the life of this community and this world. And so I want you to be a part of it. So we're going to celebrate and have a good time, right? Right? I want to be a part of celebrating a God like that. Because he's not, it's, we're not talking about something he did in days gone by. We're not talking about something that he may do one day in the future. We're talking about something he's doing right now, right here. And it's just there. And, and so sometimes... Uh, Sometimes you wonder why I preach like I preach and why I raise the bar and why I draw, draw a hard line in the sand on a lot of things. Well, I want you to see in today and next week, it's because I don't want to go back. I don't want our church to go back. As your pastor, as your preacher, I don't want you to go back. I want you to move forward and to experience more of the greatness of God in your life and in our life. And it's right there waiting to see if we will engage, to see if we will pursue that or not so nehemiah would have been better off just i'm gonna go ahead and tell you he would have been better off checking out in chapter 10 11 or 12 the narrative is good right and you know the narrative a book a movie it's good when the good people live and the bad people die right that's the way i feel now maybe you're one of those that pay to get sad where the, the couple don't live happily ever after you know they die at the end you know or whatever maybe that's you i need to pray for you okay the Academy Award winners. Who gets the Academy Awards? The sad movie where the good people die. I don't want that. I want a movie where at the end everybody is good. Am I alone in that? Y'all looking at me like I'm crazy. Okay, I'm not alone. I thought y'all were depressed people. So, so, so here's the thing. Nehemiah could have stopped. God, through the Holy Spirit, could have stopped writing at chapter 10, 11, and 12. And man, they're leaving. They're, they're finishing on a high note. But there's a 13 coming. And the title of the message is Deja Vu. Now, it, now, numerically in the Bible, chapter 12 means uh, perfection and or completion. Chapter 13, on the other hand, represents rebellion and lawlessness. They didn't stop in 12, they stopped in 13. And so tell your neighbor, beware of 13. Now tell your neighbor, deja vu. If you ever say deja vu, raise your hand. If you ever say deja vu all over again, raise your hand. You know what deja vu is. That's that moment where you're talking to somebody and you're freaked out just a little bit because you had that conversation at some time earlier. And you already know what they're going to say and you're in the environment where you were. Anybody ever had that? Or is it me on LSD? I don't know what that is. Okay? You've had that. Okay? You've had that. It'll freak you out just a little bit, right? Okay? Did I dream it? You know, did, did I, I, don't, I don't know, you know. But it's weird. It's weird. 
Because deja vu simply means uh, something seen. In other words, it's already been there. And so deja vu chapter 13 is the nation of Israel looks much like they did before chapter 10. Actually, before chapter 1. When they were in disarray, when they were in captivity, when, they, when everything was upside down and ungodly, that's what they looked like. And they don't want to go back. I have deja vu on Sunday mornings. I had one just a minute ago. You know, deja vu to me is where your mind is thinking of, of things while you're having a conversation. You know, and it's like two or three things going on. As a preacher, when, when you get up to go to the restroom, my, my mind thinks about it. I'm preaching. I typically don't stop and just think about it. Typically, I don't think if I, I ever have. But I think, I wonder where they're going. And I'm preaching. I'm preaching. My mind's saying, where's Jimmy going? You know, and a few minutes later, I'm still preaching. Well, Jimmy's back, and it's going on in my mind. And that's the way deja vu, you know, you're thinking, and you're, but that's what it is. Deja vu is, is, is the moment in this book when things look an awful lot like they did before God did a good thing. I don't want deja vu. Just recently, I had a young man. He's, a, he's pursuing God, and he says, I got a question for you. He says, why is it that sometimes I know what I'm supposed to do, and yet I do what I'm not supposed to do? That's a, an amazing question that everyone in here should or should have asked in your life. Why is it when I know what I'm supposed to do, sometimes I don't do that? I do the other thing. And, and I told him, I said, well, it's a great question. Paul, who wrote most of the New Testament, he battled the same thing. In fact, in Romans chapter 7, beginning in verse 15, Paul says this, I don't understand what I do. For what I want to do, I don't do. But what I hate to do. And if I do what I do want to do not want to do, I agree that the law is good. As it is, it is no longer I myself who do it, but it is sin living in me. For I know that good itself does not dwell in me. That is in my sinful nature. For I have the desire to do what is good, but I cannot carry it out. Verse 19, for I do not do the good I want to do, but the evil I do not want to do. This I keep doing. Now if I do what I do not want to do, it is no longer I who do it, but it is sin living in me that does it. Now that sounds like Dr. Seuss, right? And it's real. It's real for every single person in here. There are days where you do exactly what you know you're not supposed to do. You're doing the same thing you used to do that the Holy Spirit convicted you of. And you laid it down before him and you said, forgive me. I don't want to do that anymore. And you do the same thing. It's the same battle. Right now my mind's thinking, where's she going? <laughs> I'm sorry it was you. Now, <laughs> Nehemiah chapter 13, the message is called Deja Vu. Look out for 13. How do we end up where we came from instead of ending up where we're going to? Okay? How does that happen? The first thing that happens, I will call authority and our disregard for it. Listen to what it says in verse 6 of chapter 13. This is Nehemiah writing, and he says, During all this time I was not in Jerusalem, for in the 32nd year of King Artaxerxes of Babylon, I had gone back to the king. And after some time, I had requested leave of the king, and I returned to Jerusalem. So let me tell you what happens. Uh, Nehemiah has been governor now of this newly established Jerusalem with a newly built wall, with a newly rededicated people, and it is good. 
he stayed about 12 years as governor. And, and he thought, okay, everything is solid, okay? The, the, everything's doing what God wants it to do. Everybody's being who God wants them to be. Well, when he went there, he, he told the king, he says, listen, I, I need to do this thing. God is, has burdened my heart, but I will return. So he's just returning like he said he would. Well, when he gets back, he, does, he stays there, and we don't know how long he stayed uh, in Babylon. But we know he returned. And while the cat's away, what happens? The rats will play. All right? And so the nation of Israel, deja vu, had gone back to the days before God did a major work in their life. Now, when Nehemiah gets back, he is disheartened and he responds. And we'll cover that today and the next couple and, the ne and then next week. Now, here's, here's why this happens. Why did it happen? Because of authority and our disregard for authority. Let me just go ahead and tell you something about authority. You don't like it. Men, do you like when your wife tells you what to do? A <laughs> bunch of chickens in here. They're like this. You went into a coma right there. Let me answer for you. No, you don't like it. Women, do you like to be under the authority of your husband? See, they're, see, they're brave. No. All right. No, you don't. Your children don't like to be under your authority. Students don't like to be under the authority of a teacher. We don't like authority. Christians don't like to be under the authority of God's word. And it is not new. Let me explain. Before this earth was created, there was an angelic being whose name was Lucifer. He was the anointed cherub, beautiful among all, gifted among all. And he led a rebellion, a coup in heaven. And a third of the angels walked away from God and his truth and bought the lie. Why? Because even in the angelic world, there is a rebellion against authority. So what happens? Satan, Lucifer became Satan, gets cast onto the globe, and he shows up in the garden as a serpent. Adam and Eve are living in splendor and bliss and perfection, walking with God naked and unashamed, dominion over this world and the animal kingdom. She's back. And so... So what happens is the, the serpent shows up and he says, now, now, does, God doesn't really mean that. I mean, he's not going to kill you. Come on, you're the only two he has. I, I mean, did he really say that? And, and what do they do? They rebelled against the authority of God and they pursued the lies of the serpent. And it, it's, it's not new. It's, it, it's, it's an age old. It, it's still real today. So I, I wrote this note. What is not inspected can never be expected. What is not inspected can never be expected. It's why your teachers, when you're in school, give you an exam. It's to determine, it's to inspect what you're learning. Because if they never check to see if you're learning along the way, at the end of the year, they cannot expect you to have learned anything. So it, so it must be inspected for it to be expected. And so Nehemiah has left. There's nobody to inspect where they are. And so there can't be an expectation that they would stay where they needed to be. The second thing is this. Your character and my character is not determined by who I am when I'm in public. It's not determined by who I am when I'm with friends. Your character and my character is who I am when no one is watching. The character of who I am is who I am when nobody sees it. 
It's in that moment when we think nobody sees it, and there is one who sees it, and it's God. And he watches your heartbeat, and he watches your brain flow, and he watches your actions with your feet and your hands, and he knows your character. And that's really who you are. Your character is really who you are before a God who knows everything about you. And, and so they didn't realize that. They didn't. I know, but Nehemiah's away. He's not inspecting what we're doing. So we can rebel against that and live for ourselves and no longer follow his counsel. So they rebelled against authority. Now, there's people in here who rebel against me as preacher. And as a pastor, I didn't ask for this. I got called to this. But part of being called to this, and I'll help you see it in a few minutes, um, is it's a big thing. And, and when I speak God's word, it's, I, I'm not one of those guys, I'm not gifted enough, not bright enough to come up here, open up the Bible, wherever the page opens, let's read Chronicles 6, verse 2. And then a message comes out, I'm not that guy. Okay, so I'm scared of this word, and so I labor over it. And, and, and much of what I preach is stuff that God has planted in me over years of study and, pers and pursuing God's word. And then along the way, he gives me new revelation, gives me new things, gives me new counsel, new understanding. He helps me see what I haven't seen before. That's where this comes from. It's why I preach what I preach and why I take the stand that I stand on. But then there's people, men who just question everything. Okay? Men... Do you have a wife that has an infinite supply of questions? If you do, just real subtly, don't let her know. Just shake your head real quick. Okay. Yeah, that's most of you. All right. I do pre-marriage counseling, and, 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 and God gave me this revelation as a guy. As a guy, we feel like we need to, if, a, if our wife asks us a question, we feel like we're supposed to know an answer because she expects us to have an answer. I'm going to set the men free. All right. I tell these young couples, I tell the young men, I say, listen, you don't have to have an answer for every question and I tell the young women they will never read your mind and they will never be able to answer all of your questions so I'm gonna I set them free I'm gonna set you free men I want you to say after me I don't know that's right feels good doesn't it you're liberated right there it's quite all right just to simply say I don't know okay I don't know because we feel like we need to have an answer for all these questions well sometimes as a preacher I feel the same way with the church that I serve, people ask me a question. Maybe they question my stance about one thing or another. Maybe they question something about the Bible. It's okay for me to say, I don't know, because I don't have all the answers. But I want to tell you something. If every Sunday when you get in your car to leave, men or women, if you question everything that I say from this pulpit, you, you reject the authority that I speak from this word, then there's a problem. And the problem is you're probably way too smart for here or you may be too, way too stubborn for anywhere, okay? And I don't pretend to say that I have all the answers. I don't. But if I preach it, it's come from study and conviction. And, and, and it's my goal, and I'll explain why in a minute, not to lead anybody astray. But the truth is, in some homes and in some lives, the rebellion against authority and the Word of God is everywhere. And look, what, this is what it sounds like in the Bible. 2 Timothy 4, 3 and 4. A time will come when people will not listen to accurate teaching. Instead, they will follow their own desires and surround themselves with teachers who tell them what they want to hear. You know, 
You, and, and we can. We can find a little circle that will agree with us and just leave this on the shelf with dust on it, okay? And just find somebody who's going to tickle our ears and make us feel good about where we are. Or we can allow ourselves to be placed in a, in a position and a posture where the Holy Spirit of God will invite us to a new place, where the bar is set higher than it was before. Well, the standard is no longer somebody worse than us, but the standard is some, someone infinitely better than us, and his name is Jesus. And that's who we need to become. And so, there will always be this rebellion against authority. I made a list. This might ring your bell. Where do we not like authority? We don't like it on the highway. We don't like it in the no parking zones during a ball game. We don't like it on April 15th when we have to pay our taxes. We don't like school rules about dress code. We don't like someone to tell us what to do anytime. And here's a good one. We don't even like when there's a handrail with a handwritten piece of paper that says wet paint. What do we want to do? I'm going to see if it's wet. Has anybody ever touched the wet paint handrail? I thought I was the only one. Okay. Early service, none of them owned it. Okay. Don't do it. What do you want to do? You want to do it. I have a grandson. We, 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 we practice reverse psychology on him. Don't you dare eat those green beans. Oh, yeah, I'll show you. Well, no, stop eating the beans. Oh, yeah, I'll show you. Okay. Why? Because we just naturally have this thing where we do not like authority. So 15 years ago, our family was called to move back to Tennessee, and we started being student pastors at Second Baptist Church in Clinton. And let me just go ahead and qualify this. I am an enormous fan of our military, armed forces, and our police force. Enormous fan. I, I, hardly ever will I see a police officer that I don't say something to him like, man, I appreciate what you do. Hardly ever do I see somebody wearing a veteran's hat or, or something military. I say, hey, man, I appreciate your service. At whatever level. I don't even know what it is, but I appreciate it. I like my freedom. And I like those who protect my freedom. Okay? And I, I get offended about people who want to who want to disregard that. And I'm not, I'm not saying they're all perfect, but I'm saying they're, they're protecting us, okay? But still, there's this thing. As much as I like them, there's this authority that, that I rebel against sometimes. So 15 years ago, we moved to Tennessee, and I had a vehicle, and it was fine, but they had a factory recall, put it in the shop. And it was Wednesday night. We were supposed to be at, uh, at the river to have church, and I had my daughter Caitlin with me. And uh, my, my nice vehicle was, was down, and I had a, a four-by-four pickup truck. It was kind of rough. I just brought it up from Alabama, and, and the tags were expired. They were Alabama tags, and they were expired. I didn't have a vehicle. I said, Caitlin, get in the truck. So we drove it to church. We had youth service. I left the youth service, and in Clinton, there used to be a Sonic. I pulled into the Sonic. I noticed a police officer was behind me. So I pulled into the Sonic, and he pulled right. My youth is over here eating. Okay, I pulled in and he blue lighted me right behind at the Sonic. Okay, I put my window down and he came up. He, you know, he's tucking in his shirt, checking all of his artillery. He's ready to a big bust. Okay, and I said, Yes, sir. He said, You know what you did? I said, Honestly, I don't. He said, Your tags are expired. And I said, Yeah. I said, I just moved up here and uh, my other vehicles broke down or in the shop and I had to bring it down to church. I do student ministry at Second Baptist Church. He said, You knew? That it was expired I said yeah huh. do you not understand these are his words I, I, I'll never forget it's etched in my mind he said do you not understand that is a flagrant disregard for the law and I said yeah 
And he said, why are you laughing? I said, oh, I thought it was funny. I, I thought you were kidding. So I told him, I said, I thought a flagrant disregard for the law was like murder, rape, armed robbery, you know, some of those. He goes, you think this is funny? I said, no, I'm just, the, I, don't see the, I don't see the big deal. Don't ever tell the police officer <laughs> who has a gun and a car with lights on it that you don't think it's a big deal. That's dumb, okay? So it didn't go anywhere fast, and so he wrote me a ticket, okay? And I said, can I just pay this? He says, no, you need to go to court. I said, okay. So my court date came, and I went to court, and I was sitting back there, and they were reading the docket, and it got to my name, and it said, Joel Dew, and I stuck my hand up. And the judge was a friend of mine that I went to school with, and, and, and I went up there, and, and Barney was standing over here on the left, and, and so I, I went up there, and, and he said, he said, what are you doing here? I said, flagrant disregard for the law. And he said, what are you talking about? It's a ticket. I said, you think this is funny? <laughs> and, he, and I said, it's not funny. And I said, I got it fixed, and I'm just here to pay my fees. He said, uh, you're free to go. Uh, you don't have to pay court costs. Now, you know, what, you, know what, you know what the real me, the flesh me wanted to do? Look over at the police officer. <laughs> I didn't. I didn't because I'm a youth pastor. I'm a Christian. I didn't do that, okay? Now, I'm telling you right now. Uh, I'm a fan of police officers. I was a fan. He was doing his job. He was zealous, okay? <laughs> a little overly zealous. But there's this thing in us that just, that just rebels. Now, okay, it rebelled 2,500 years ago when Nehemiah went back to Susa. It rebels today. And but until Jesus returns, we'll still be rebelling against it. So how are we supposed to be? Well, God's Word tells us some things. When it comes to our government or our public living, 1 Peter 2.13 says, Submit yourself for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether to a king as the one in authority. Romans 13.1 says, Every person is to be in subjection to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God, and those which exist are established by God. You know what that means? Church, if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, we should be model citizens. We should be model citizens. We should pay our bills, pay our taxes. We should, do, we should obey the laws of the land. Now, the laws of the land will never trump this law, this book of living, but we should be model citizens. And I'm going to be honest with you. I'm not always a model citizen, okay? And the worst place is on the highway. I'm, I'm, I'm wired fast, and so, but here's how rebellion, this is what rebellion to authority looks like. If I'm wired fast, then 78 ought to be a good number, right? 78 is only a good number if the sign says 70. If it says 60, 66 is a good number. If it says 40, 45 is a good number. Just, I, I got to rebel just a little bit. Okay, and I know I'm the only one in here that does that. Okay, but you see what that looks like, what that feels like? It's in you. And your spirit should fight that. We should want to be model citizens. And so sometimes you'll differ in the views. I take a hard stand on things. You know I do. And I don't, I don't back up or apologize from it because it's, it's the conviction of my heart as pastor, as shepherd. Because I want you to hear something. 
no matter what I say from this pulpit, if it comes from this book and if it comes from my mouth, I would never do one thing, not one thing intentionally to hurt you or your family, ever. It's the, it's the heart that God has placed in me for this position. Never. I would never challenge you, invite you, uh, instruct you to do anything that I thought would ever hurt you or your family. So I know sometimes you have different views, but there's, there's a difference between you having different views about some of those issues, um, abortion, immor immorality, um, alcohol, um, homosexuality and sexual identity, um, pornography, life choice and health and fitness, all of those things. I have biblical convictions of how they can hurt you. And that's why I preach and set the bar high. And if you need a church that sets the bar low to meet you, you can find one. Or you can stay right here and just cringe when I say those things. But I want you to know there's a reason, a motivation, and a purpose for me setting the bar higher and taking a strong stand. I want you to see why. In Matthew chapter 18, verse 6, Jesus said, whoever causes one of these little ones who believe in me to sin, it would be better for him to have a great millstone fastened around his neck and be drowned in the depth of the sea. You know who that's talking to? Me. He says, if you teach something that's going to cause somebody to stumble and sin, it would be better if they hung a rock around your neck and cast you in the sea. <laughs> I don't want to be that guy. I love my life, I love this church, I love my, my family and my grandchildren. I don't want to be at the bottom of the sea with a rock around my neck. Acts chapter 2 verse 28, to me, not to you. Keep watch over yourselves and all the flock of which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. Be shepherds of the church of God, which he bought with his own blood. I know that after I leave... Savage wolves will come in among you and will not spare the flock. Even from your own number, men will arise and distort the truth in order to draw away disciples after them. Deja vu. Deja vu. We end up right where we came from. And my job as your pastor, as the preacher of this book, is to help you not go back, to help us keep moving forward so how do we do this thing man how do we do this when we have this nature that wants to rebel against authority you will never do it on your own you cannot get up in the morning look in the mirror and say i think i can i think i can i think i can it never works there's only one who can do it and his name is jesus and the only way you will ever see and experience freedom from rebellion against authority freedom against rebellion against his word is to surrender fully to Jesus to turn your eyes on Jesus at every in every moment in every day to turn our eyes on Jesus and let him liberate us from that thing and I have a story several years ago and you may have heard this story but it I, I want you to it's real we took customers deep sea fishing and I we had been many times I'd never been sick Hurricanes had come through and the water was extremely rough. And they took us out in the bay to catch our bait. We caught the bait. Everything's fine. 
And we go in, and the seas are extremely rough, and, and we're going out in the ocean, and we were playing cards. Why? Who, who thought of that? I don't know. And so the cards started moving around on the table. And all of a sudden, man, I got seasick. Anybody ever been seasick? It's, it's like a stomach virus on crack, okay? The worst of the worst. And, and so I got sick. And the guys I was with, you know, they started making fun of me, you know, which I didn't, I'd puke on them. I don't even care. And so they said, yeah, Joel's got sick. Joel got sick. Hand me the mayonnaise and the Cheetos. You know, they're trying to make me sicker. So I just said, yeah, I hate you all. So I went down in the belly of the boat, and I laid down, and I was in the fetal position, throwing up. And I was praying, God, send me a helicopter. I'm, I'm, I'm serious. This captain is, is a nut, and he's not turning the boat around. I think I've got an aneurysm in my stomach. Please send me a helicopter. I didn't hear a helicopter. And probably a half hour went by, and I was curled up in the fetal position. And out of nowhere, this song from when I was growing up in a church, a hymn, Turn Your Eyes Upon Jesus, came to my mind. I'm curled up in the floor in vomit. And I'm singing, turn your eyes upon Jesus. We're full in a wonderful face. And the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. I'm saying, that's all I knew. I was singing over and over. And all of a sudden, this little breeze swept over me. And I'm curled up. And it went away just went away and I, I thought you know is this like the calm before the storm you know what is it am I dying you know did I have a stroke you know and the Lord just spoke to my heart he said no nah, you go up and you go upstairs get you something to drink and get you something to eat I didn't want to eat I was going to fast for the rest of my life so I went upstairs and and the boat's still going crazy and they had these runners on the roof and I'm holding it and he said get you something to eat I don't want to eat Lord said, get you something to eat. I went over there and made a sandwich. I got a Diet Coke. I went and locked myself in the door. And I said, hey, Captain, where's my fishing rod? And the first mate looked around and he said, what happened to you? I said, Jesus just healed me in this boat. The other seven guys we took fishing, they were puking their guts out. I was so delighted. And I said, now, I'm telling you, I, I tell stories. I don't make stuff up. It's, this is the way it happened. I went out there, and they had double hooks on these, on these uh, fishing rods. And you'd throw it to the bottom and then start reeling it up. And then by the time I got it up, I would have trigger fish, amberjack, snapper, multiple fish, pulling them in the boat. And we just started throwing them in. I said, give me another one. Give me another one. And he healed me in the boat. When I was in that moment, I could not do one thing for myself. I was vulnerable and exposed, lying in a fetal position, and there was nothing physically I could do. I turned my eyes on Jesus, looked in his wonderful face, and he took care of me. That's what happens when it comes to being submissive to this book. When you don't want to, when it hurts and it pushes back, and it calls us to a place that's uncomfortable, we simply say, all right, Jesus, I'm going to look at you, and you'll lead me to this place you want me to be. And it'll be good when we get there. Amen? I want you to bow your heads, close your eyes. I want you to know today, God loves you right where you are. You can't imagine the depth of the love that he has for you. Doesn't matter where you're at. Doesn't matter if you're lost or saved. Doesn't matter if you had a good week or a bad week. He loves you right where you are. 
But I want you to know he loves you way too much to leave you right there. He wants to take you to a new place. He's inviting you. He's ready to lead you. You get to choose whether or not you go. So maybe you're here today and your walk with God has just never been that real, that special, or that beautiful. It can begin today. You can simply find your place where you say, God, I feel you speaking, tugging at my heart. And on this very day, I believe you love me. On this very day, I believe that Jesus died on a cross to save me. I want that gift of Jesus placed upon my life. I want to receive salvation today. I want you to forgive all my sin. I want you to help me be who you want me to be and nobody other than that from this day forward. Forgive my sin. Come into my life and save me. Thank you for hearing my prayer. Thank you for saving me on this day. And then there's many of us in here today. We've already made that decision to follow Christ. We've received his grace gift. But the truth is, we haven't done anything with it. And I want to tell you, God is doing something beautiful in the life of this church. I don't want you to miss it. It's time to step up and step in and see what he will do with your life. Lord, we thank you for loving us all the time. We thank you for demonstrating it through Jesus. We thank you for your word of truth. We thank you, God, that you're always inviting us to a different place, a greater experience of who you are. Help us be a people who would pursue that, that would follow you in all that we do, and we'll give you the praise and the glory for it. For those who need to be saved today, God, I pray that you'll just quicken their heart, invite them into your forever kingdom. Bind the devil from the world so that they might be able to respond to your call in Jesus' name.